Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan, and with me today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello! We also have Bill Graham. Woo! Alright, and we are here to talk about Sorry to Bother You, the feature film debut of writer-director Boots Riley. This movie stars Lakeith Stanfield and Tessa Thompson, two of the talents in Hollywood and in TV and in everything, really, that are like my most exciting people to see in something. So lots of high hopes for this film. We'll see how it pans out. Before we get into that, all the usual bullshit up top. Follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show. Follow us on Facebook. Search for The Film Stage Show. Give us a comment and rating on iTunes. That's always helpful. And if you need to email us some long-form thoughts, we can be reached podcast at thefilmstage.com. So that's that. Uh, let me also remind people that you can support this show, become part of our super cool Slack channel, and get entered in to win all kinds of fun film-related raffles by going to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow and signing up to give as little as $1 per episode. In addition... We're brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. In addition to bringing some of the best films straight to your computer, Mubi has some theatrical releases. So this time we want to shine a spotlight on Ryuchi Sakamoto, Coda, which is still playing in theaters across the United States. We talked about this at length last week. It's going to be in New York until August 5th and will open in Chicago and San Francisco on July 27th. So, Michael, so exciting for you. Indeed. And then I'll totally yeah. miss it. <laughs> uh, for the full list of screenings in 40-plus cities across the United States, visit coda.mubi.com. In addition, don't forget the Long Take series, which uh, has Victoria and Bill's favorite movie without ever even having seen it, Norte, The End of History. Anyway, check out Victoria Norte and 28 other great films on Mubi for free. All you have to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage and you will get a free trial of Mubi on us. And that is that. Gentlemen, we're all back. It's just the three of us this week. No guests to muck up the works while we talk about Sorry to Bother You. Is everyone excited? No, no, it's it's, it's okay. You. You know what? Michael made this joke last week. It wasn't <laughs> funny then. <laughs> it's less funny now. 
I, I, I don't have the 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 week's sabbatical that I did last time, so it's I'm not quite as hyperactive. Yeah, or, I was about to say, are you not as sharp? Like, are you saying <laughs> that you need a week off? <laughs> anyway, are you saying that you would have made that joke if I hadn't? No, definitely not. <laughs> okay. All right, this is a great episode. We're really rocking it. Uh, anyway, Woo. this film premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, where it got quite a bit of buzz. It's been hit in other festivals, and now it is out semi-wide. I was able to see this in an AMC theater, not five minutes from my house. So how about that? Oh. Yeah. Congratulations. So, thank you, Bill. I'm very happy that I was able to do that. So yes, sorry to bother you. Um, how best to describe this film? Um, let's just say that Lakeith Stanfield plays Cassius Green, a young man who starts working at a telemarketing center and using his white voice is able to progress rapidly through the ranks, even as uh, civil disorder starts to break out in the world around him. I think that's a great description, honestly. Yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> I'm pretty proud of that. So now that we give yourself on the back. <laughs> I will. I'm doing it. No one can hear, but I'm doing it. Just have to take me on faith. So that's the summary. Here is the trailer. I'm just out here surviving. And what I'm doing right now won't even matter. Baby, baby, it will always matter. Thought you said you fixed that. Get a room. I got a room, mother. Hey, Cash. How much longer I got to wait for my money? God made this land for all of us. Greedy people like you want to hog it to yourself and your family. And Me and my family? Yeah. Cassius, I'm your f***ing uncle. I just really need a job. 40 on two. This is telemarketing. Stick to the script. All right, so that is the trailer for Sorry to Bother You. Again, feature film debut of writer-director Boots Riley. Let's, uh, let's talk about it. First of all, um, I assume that everyone was just as excited as me to see this movie. The trailer was fantastic. The yep. talent involved is amazing. People that we didn't mention who are in this film are Jermaine Fowler, <laughs> Omari Hardwick, Terry Crews has a moment in there. We also have Danny Glover stopping in, Steven Yoon, and uh, the always wonderful Army Hammer, so as well as the... The voice talents of David Cross yeah. and Pat Oswalt. <laughs> I was going to say some some familiar voice talents as well. Yeah, apparently Lily James. Yes, was a voice mm-hmm. in this. Uh, in one scene, it seemed like yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that was pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, let's talk about it. Let's see what we thought. I'd like to start off with Bill Graham. Ooh, all right, cool. Um, I really enjoyed this film. I think. Yes, at times it is on the nose, but that's fine. Um, you know, I've, I've heard some things talking about how this is a first time writer director. And for a lot of these first time writer directors, or uh, I'm sorry, he may not actually be the writer. Uh, I know he's the first time director. And yes, he's writer director as well. I have been saying writer director this whole goddamn <laughs> I, time. I, I haven't been listening to a goddamn thing. He you was said. just dotting his eyes. He's all right. Um, anyways, uh, so 
you know, one one issue with a lot of first time directors is they it, it feels like they are overreaching with what they're trying to get on screen. Um, they're not narrow minded or they're not focused enough to really understand that they probably will get another chance, especially with something as as just colorful and bright and fun and interesting as this film. Um, I think Boots is definitely going to get another film. Um, but, you know, it, it takes a lot for these films to get made. And, you know, it, it, I can't I can't imagine finally getting your chance to make a movie like this. And then, yeah, you're going to want to put a lot of things on screen. So some of the things aren't quite followed through. But just the same, I think this is just a really, really well-made, well-executed film. I think it flows really well. Um, it. I will say it feels longer than it actually is, which is interesting, but just the same, um, I really quite enjoyed this film. I think it wears its heart on its sleeve. It's not trying to pull any punches, and especially by the end. And it, it really kind of gets at the main heart of what it's trying to say well before I was expecting it to. So it, the last kind of half of this film is really just a roller coaster to see where it goes. And I, I just really enjoyed it. The performances are fantastic. The music is great throughout. Um, I remember listening to, I guess, someone was talking about a podcast they were listening to. So this is definitely secondhand information, but apparently, uh, you know, the coop music is, uh, Boots Riley's band and the coop music is played throughout the film. And someone asked him about that and was, and he basically was like, well, in this alternate universe, everybody listens to the coop. So, <laughs> and I'm just like, that's, that's amazing. Like, why not use your own band's, you know, music to populate your film? Why not? Super curious. So, is it the coop or is it the coup? I thought it's the coup. The coup. Yeah. Sorry, it's, I, it's not, I have a I have an issue not pronouncing that P sometimes. So we, we okay. should be clear, though. It's not only the soundtrack is. I mean, at least from what, what I thought is actually. I, I mean, I know Boots Riley is involved with it, but it's also mostly uh, Tune Yards, uh, Meryl Garbus, Meryl Garbus's uh, band. Um, but so I know she is. The, one of the main composers as well. I'm not sure how much she collaborated with the coup, but I feel like we probably should mention that she is listed as uh, the composer as well. Um, Correct. Yeah, I guess. I guess more than anything, I'm not familiar enough with the coup's music to know the difference um, when it does dip in and when it does doesn't. But I guess maybe maybe more specifically, everybody that listens to music inside the film what 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 is that called y'all diegetic yes that music is the coup i guess Mm -hmm. so the the soundtrack is by tune yards whereas like the main music that they actually listen to in like the club and stuff like that is wait so you say the soundtrack so the score is by tune yards and the the soundtrack and the diegetic soundtrack is the coup yes Okay, fantastic. I think Boots yeah. Riley, as I understand it, I think Boots Riley potentially collaborated with Meryl Garbus on the score as well, though. So I don't think those are necessarily uh, quite as, uh, you know, like Boots Riley only did score, or excuse me, Boots Riley only did soundtrack, Meryl Garbus only did score. 
<laughs> this is okay, now well, getting spent way an too sim- amount of yeah, time Jesus. talking about something that we apparently don't have any actual knowledge of. <laughs> so let's uh, let's move on and see what Michael Snydell thought of. Sorry to bother you. Uh, yeah, I definitely lost my train of thought. Okay, so sorry to bother you. Um, it's 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 good, uh, but it. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of it that doesn't work, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree pretty strongly with Bill when he's he's talking about. I feel like talking about this in relation to most uh, debut Sundance films and most debut indie films that we talk about uh, feels disingenuous uh, to Boots Riley as a director. Because for better or for worse, I feel like chaos is a part of his DNA in a way that it isn't with a lot of Sundance films we talk about. I feel like uh, we often talk about weird as a currency, especially now with uh, independent films, and especially in recent years, as that's what grabs uh, headlines. I mean, hopefully you haven't been spoiled about this movie, but... I mean, I've seen at least three or four headlines that have tried every which way to almost spoil this movie. Um, so what I'll say about this movie is it doesn't it doesn't necessarily completely work. And but I think it is fascinating in its contradictions. I think it's really weird as well that people continue to talk about this movie as fun as I don't think. I think that the things that are happening on screen are crazy and that you're seeing like from production design to cinematography, there is an energy and a color and a sense of spectacle. But as far as tone in this movie, this is a a very somber, a very serious movie that places it, you know, in line with, you know, agitprop and more uh, left field art than we're used to. So my final thing is what I'll say here is that Sorry to Bother You feels like a movie that we don't necessarily get in such a spotlight as usual. Um, it's a bridging of high and low sensibilities in many cases in terms of the broad humor and then in terms of what it's trying to say about contradictory things about uh, – some socialist values about unions, but also a potential entity within the film is also could be uh, synonymous with those same socialist values. It's kind of anti everything. Um, almost every character in the movie is uh, simultaneously being presented as a beacon of authenticity and the problem. And, with that said, when you have all of those constant contradictions and you want to make then a film that ends in such a cohesive way, it just it plainly doesn't work. Um, so I find a lot of things that are happening in the fringes of this movie a lot more interesting than how it actually wants to tell a narrative. And it's this seems like a movie that we don't necessarily know how to talk about in the sense of social media because we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's either way too broad or we're so hyperbolic with our praise that it can never live up to it being a weird, you know, fidgety uh, mess. Um, so with all those things, I think it's a lot more interesting than any debut we've had in a while, 
but I'm not sure I think it's that good of a movie. But nonetheless, I'm interested to see what Boots Riley could do in the future. Yeah, I didn't like this movie at all. (laughs) So let's just get that out of the way. Um, Almost everything that Bill said, in my point of view, is wrong. And I think that that's, you know, maybe I should have just interjected right after Bill and said everything he said, but the opposite so that people could remember I was really I was really on board for this movie for the first like five minutes and you know that we open up with cash trying to like work his way into this job only to find out that like the job doesn't give a shit he makes up a bunch of like former jobs and accolades that he's won and is told that like all of that is bullshit, but they don't care because it like all they need to know is that he can read English and he like has the slightest bit of like effort. Initiative. Yeah. yeah. And um <clears throat> I have worked at like at least two call centers. And yeah, that's I'm pretty much sorry. true. <laughs> Look, man, when you're right out of college and you need a job, you take a job. And so I worked at pro- actually three. I'll just say three. I worked at three progressively higher paying call centers. Each time, a little piece of me dying even more. <laughs> and Did you sell it an encyclopedia at any point? No. I um, okay. The first call center I worked at, I was responsible for keeping updated a like digital Rolodex of journalists and PR people, making sure that I had all their correct information hmm. and all of their correct what's the word like focuses so like someone could go into this thing this this database that we were keeping and type in like birds and then it all the journalists whoever wrote about birds would come that actually sounds kind of useful for for like for like them and for you so you would think so bill here's the problem Journalists don't want to talk to someone who they don't know who's calling them up like a telemarketer. And so one time I legitimately had a guy say, I wrote one story about boats and I keep getting all these goddamn things about boats. I don't write about boats. And I said to him, well, sir, have you ever answered one of these phone calls and allowed someone to verify the categories that you write under? And he said, no, because I keep getting emails from people using your database and they're always wrong. And I was like, but you realize that my job is to make sure that it's right. And I have already removed you from people who write about boats, (laughs) maritime news and all this other stuff. And he's like, oh, so like, that's the problem with that. Now, (laughs) that's just and I was making like $20,000 a year on that. That was like college to just after college. Then I went and worked at a real estate research firm. Where I got to do that almost exact same job, but with real estate agents and their listings. <laughs> and they downgrade. were equally, but I was making <laughs> double the know, money. <laughs> they, uh, they, I'll tell you this, because I work in, in the real estate side. Uh, they do not want to fucking talk to anybody <laughs> no, unless, it's, it, unless it's in, in acting like giving them money. Then they're just going to be like, no, I don't have well, time you know for this. What's even funnier about that? This is a tangent, my tangent. When I was trying to rent space with a friend to start a distillery, it was just as hard to get a person on the phone <laughs> saying, I want to give you lots of money. As it was to say, I would like to update your listings in our database. <laughs> now, my next yeah, and final phone, my, phone calls, phone calls are just bad. Yeah. I'll, I'll, so just, next, I'll just leave it at that. My next and final telemarketing thing. 
and I don't know, I'll probably get sued for saying this. I was working for an education technology company that was helping high tier universities to put their courses online so that people Mm. could like someone in Iowa could go to USC virtually and get an actual USC degree, which sounds great, but we were taught to use high pressure sales tactics (laughs) in order to, and we were taught all about, Oh no. Um, like, you know, they say like, find the pain point in this person's life. That's going to make them sign up for this. And if they bring up the concept of money, because maybe a librarian who does freelance non-commissioned counseling every other weekend can't afford $90,000 worth of tuition, just bring up the fact that like there are a bunch of things and then send them this email that is like specifically worded to make them feel like they might not even have to pay for their education because if they work in the nonprofit sector under a certain federal grant, if they do that for like 15 years, their debt's forgiven. So like I hated that. Oh, but wow. again, I made a lot of money and it was a cultish startup atmosphere where they would like give us food all the time and we were allowed to like drink on the floor and they continuously threw parties and stuff and told us how great we were. And so whenever I watch Glengarry Glen Ross or the Wolf of Wall Street or the opening of this movie, I feel a very deep spiritual connection with everything that's happening on the screen now with sorry to bother you where that starts to break down is that this movie has like four different narratives going on it never feels like they're happening concurrently and i was often very confused as to where in the narrative like in narrative a we were when suddenly we were hanging out with narrative c for a second and like Everything just felt really chopped up. I legitimately thought for a second that like maybe I'd missed a time jump or like we had skipped a reel, which is impossible because it was a DCP and there are no reels to miss. But I just couldn't track the progression of anyone either on a plot or an emotional level. And adding to that the fact that like things about conspicuous consumerism and... The, the plight of the working man and the way that people are seduced away from their own best interests with like concepts of personal glory up to and including like code switching and systematic racism in both like society and in capitalist power structures. All of those things are thrown out in the same way that they would be thrown out by someone railed on cocaine at a college party, which is to <laughs> say quickly very emphatically and then with absolutely no follow through and it just became kind of a slog for me to sit there and just wonder when it was going to get back to the point that it had been making previously and wondering if it ever would and trying to grasp something in this narrative to pull me through all the weirdness and I would been really intrigued by the sort of Michel Gondry-esque styling of the trailer. Mm-hmm. And that that is so weird because in the trailer, you see these moments where his like desk shakes and suddenly he drops into the middle of someone's conversation as they pick up the phone. And the problem is that like having done this job, I can tell you that you don't feel that you you never get the sense that you're in this person's life it's actually like quite the opposite 
you're actually never more alone and disconnected from someone than when you were talking to them on the phone. And it's almost like you're blind and waiting to hear things in the background that will give you an insight into their life. So like I'll be talking to a woman for 30 minutes trying to get her to believe that she can afford an education that costs more than her house. And then I'll hear a child in the background. I'll say, Oh, like, is that your daughter? Like, is like, what's up with that? And then she'll say, Oh, that's my son. He's in the back seat. We're sitting in my car. And I'm just like, Whoa, are you like driving? And she's like, no, we're parked outside of a place. I was supposed to be 20 minutes ago. Can you please tell me more about this thing? And I'm like, no, you should fucking get your kid out of that car and do whatever you're supposed to do. This is a terrible idea. You 100% cannot afford this, but I need to start or I lose my job. So I am going to continue to talk to you until I can get you to agree to talk with me on the phone so I can walk you through the application process and I can tell you everything to skip so you seem like a better student. Like, it's it's just weird. Like, I couldn't connect with it even on that basic level. And And at the end, when it was over, I was just... Like, a movie this weird shouldn't bore me this much. And a movie with this many ideas shouldn't struggle so hard to engage me intellectually. And that's just how I felt through this entire thing. Okay. Yeah. So, sorry Uh, to bring us down. (laughs) No, no, no. That's fine. No, no. Um... Uh, and it's a shame you know, because like, I was actually I was really looking forward to this movie. Like I was super uh-huh. excited. You know, last week I think on on the ending I was like, yeah, sorry to bother you. And then I just remember sitting in the theater and having this like sinking feeling. And like I kept, I went to an AMC theater. I kept adjusting my chair. I kept like trying to get more comfortable, thinking that like maybe my legs hurt. Maybe that's why I can't pay attention to this movie. But then I realized it was just because I was like completely unengaged and I like in kind of a twitchy, needy way, like wanted to get up and walk around. Hmm. Um, so is there anything that you actually liked about this film or is it, is it kind of one of those situations where you just kind of checked out and, and that's, that's that. I mean, I never really checked out. I was still invested. And when, when, when the twist comes up, I was suddenly back on board, like real hardcore for like two minutes. Mm hmm. But that didn't last long. And, um, you know, I love Keith Stanfield. Uh, he's great. He was great in Get Out. He's like the best part of Atlanta, which is a show comprised entirely of best parts. <laughs> so that's great. Uh, Tessa Thompson, you know, I've been a fan since I saw her in Creed. Mm-hmm. And I just like, Same. you know, I was I was super excited to see uh, Steven Yoon in something because he was mm-hmm. great on The Walking Dead. And Army Hammer is doing his, like, unhinged white guy thing, which is also great. But, like, they all seemed hampered and, like, tied down by this script and this narrative that, like, didn't really seem to respect the effort they were putting in. And Tessa Thompson's character is such the prototypical, like, disapproving girlfriend who's, like got a stronger moral center than the main character and is going to have to wait around until he fixes himself that I was just kind of bummed out for her, honestly, that like this, that this was what they did for her. This was like her job. Like she was such a stronger, more independent character in Creed 
mm-hmm. when she like laid down the law with him and was like, this is my job. Like, you know, I'm not going to into your ring and trying to break up your fight. Like stop fucking with my livelihood. I have limited time to do this and I want to do it the way I want to do it. Yeah. So yeah, I just, you know, I was just kind of really let down by this film. trying to think of the best way i'm trying to think of the best way to approach this and and trying to figure out how we can uh find a productive discussion in this i i I, I guess you know the two of you got a lot more out of it than i am or i did so i i don't want to sit here and like shoot bbs at your your silly resolve for your love for this movie or even your admiration for it michael admiration i don't have any deep adoration for this movie but i i did i think find the dissonance that you're speaking to which you found unengaging i found interesting in kind of an academic way which is obviously not is a weird way to describe the enjoyment of a movie that most people aren't gonna think about in this way like it's it's very strange for me to try to defend this in any typical movie ways because without getting into spoilers i legit absolutely loathed the ending of this movie i think it's the biggest laziest whiff after the movie is engaging it's weird i'm using obviously the word engaging after you said you didn't find it (laughs) unengaging but i found those contradictions i found the way that this movie kind of around the two-thirds mark just completely stops to become like uh, a, a short like weird limbo meditation on like stasis for a little while while like the other story is just happening like that concurrent quality that you're talking about brian i i think that i i i think that i'm more on your side with some of the the choppiness um even though I, I do think that this choppiness feels, again, more ingrained and organic in this filmmaking than any recent example I can think of of a film that felt choppy or felt like it took, you know, some dramatic detour. Um, right. And I, I would hesitate to say that, like, I, you know, when I first talked out, I was like, I don't get it. This is a badly made movie. But, like, I believe that the 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 choppiness and like the halting nature of everything that i'm feeling is probably on purpose mm. and i don't know if that's me just like trying to give credit to this film halting or, you know is exactly how i describe it i'm sorry i interrupted you yeah. though oh no no that's fine i'm glad that someone else can back me up on my word choice but i th- i think that the movie's trying to do that on purpose in which case congratulations worked like gangbusters <laughs> wasn't for me but like you know i just uh, it's I I like weird movies. <laughs> I like movies of the French New Wave, where things happen seemingly Would without you reason. Say and you, you like Michelle Gondry? No, not really. Actually, ah, I don't really okay. either, well. except with like, like one that. exception. <laughs> yeah, no, Michelle. I didn't like. What was what was his big movie? The Science of Sleep. Uh, oh, I didn't like the Science of Sleep. No, what was the one that he what, did that people actually Indigo. liked? Well, Eternal Sunshine. I I loved Mood Indigo. I did not see Moody to go. Did he do Eternal Sunshine? Yeah, and is it Kaufman? I always get Kaufman and Gondry Kaufman, confused. Kaufman, Ooh. I I, uh. I think it's Kaufman and Michelle Gondry did Eternal Sunshine. I can look that up. But like, I did not like the Science of Sleep at all. Agreed. Um, 
I just yeah, he did direct Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I I I kind of dug Eternal Sunshine, but I think that had more to do with uh, Kaufman. Sure. Um, yep. I did not like The Science Sleep. I did not like uh, Be Kind Rewind. No, me either. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, I'm I love that style, but like he's just not a storyteller, and that's the thing that I say about a lot of people. Do I feel like Boots was Riley it Green Hornet be? as well? Yeah. Oh, that was Ooh. very good either. <laughs> Yeah, no. Can we all just take a Whoops. collective moment to rethink the love that we may have once had for Michelle Gondry? Um, now, Spike Jones, on the other hand, mm, there's, yes. there's an inventive motherfucker with things on his mind, but who can drill down and tell a story. I mean, and he wrote one of the great science fiction stories of the last decade with her and like created uh-huh. an interesting good world and everything. And um, I don't know. I just feel like this movie was like, this is everything I've ever thought about anything. And he was just so excited to put it all down that he, he just, he put it all down and there's, there are moments where that can work and there's movies where that can work. And for me, this just wasn't one of them. It just, it felt too disorganized. It felt too disconnected. Mm -hmm. And as a person who is down to hear things that I may not agree with and to like see other viewpoints just as long as the story is engaging like i don't even need to engage with the characters but just make sure that the story is moving along at a good clip i was just so deeply confounded so often by what this movie was even trying to do on a story level like it there's just seems like there are beats missing and every time that it happened i was like so is that just not as important as i thought it was for instance cassius is told about the white guy voice and he's like, oh, okay. And then he 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 cuts to like Cassius at like a bar with his friends, like having drinks. And then he does it for the first time while giving a toast. And I'm like, but so did he ever try it when he was actually there? Like, is he already doing it at work and he's super successful already? And it just stuff like that just kind of like blew my mind because the obvious and simple choice is just to like have him give it a whirl and either fail and then do it well at the bar or to do it great right away and then do it at the bar again just to prove to his friends that he can and it's not like the movie ever really fills that in he it's just it just is so it's so weird to me like the movie feels weird like it's not meant to be a movie i think that's i think that's fair and i think that's what some people have said uh that's what some people i've i've heard saying specifically that by translating something that's usually in the medium of music or, or specifically in the short form music video, which, you Mm -hmm. know, doesn't need to conform to typical uh, pacing, doesn't need to deal with like typical logic because it's again, the momentum is the music. Um, But like, I I think, I don't know. Okay. I I will say what I'm saying, but I want to briefly pause on that bar scene because I, my, my girlfriend also had a similar confusion about that as you did, Brian. And it's interesting because when I saw that, my immediate interpretation of that scene was that that bar that they're in, which almost has a utopian feel for, uh, in the movie, um, seemed like, I, I read that as a moment of he was totally carefree at that moment. That that was supposed to be the moment where he felt closest to a how a white person wants to feel, uh, going back mm-hmm. to an earlier thing. So I, I do find that 
I, I mentioned that because I think it's really interesting that um, I've seen multiple people, including you, including my girlfriend, including a review, I've seen all point to that scene as something that they that just was jumbled in their brain. Like, and, and I think that we can we can speak to other scenes even before um, <sighs> spoilers. Um, <laughs> No, I, I want to speak about a scene that's like only vague. It's not actually about the spoiler, but is subsequently after and is very strange in how it's uh, sequenced. And I guess that those things that you're talking about, uh, Brian, is like they were things that I felt. But I think what made it different to me than something like a Michelle Gondry or even like a Joseph Kahn you know, who some people think that uh, detention and um, torque and, and torque and the new film about uh, oh god about rap Bodied? battles. Yes, thank you. Um, his aesthetic is something that like I have never made it through twenty minutes of his movies. Like, I just I can't do it. And but I think the thing that separated uh, sorry to bother you, which does have like kind of an equally scatter shots and like encyclopedic uh, visual style is that that is like um, sorry in, in constant um, juxtaposition with the opposite and the fact that it, those that there was constantly contradicting rhythms. There was constantly contradicting tones. Like for, for a movie that's supposed to be like, again, so vibrant, this is a movie that like, it doesn't really ever feel like you're supposed to have fun when you're with, uh, when, you know, whether he's working, whether he's with his friends, whether he's with his girlfriend, like everything is freighted with this, like certain melancholy and like, uh, loss of meaning. And I think you even get that. I, I want to bring up an interview real quick from uh, the village voice. And um, at, at one point, the interviewer, uh, Lara Zaram at uh, the village voice asked your main character in the movie is somebody who at one point turns back on his fellow workers and takes a better deal at the expense of their collective action. You seem to want the audience to sympathize with this position too. And boots Riley, um, didn't like only vaguely answer the question. His answer was what what's termed activism is now not about building a solidarity to get rid of the system. It's about saying that you're right and showing that you're right. It's about winning the debate as opposed to making a movement. And I think mm. that that is reflective of the movie, but that is very difficult to make into a coherent statement. Like movies well, are not movies are generally not made uh, well about cycles and about stasis and about like false moves up or down. Like, you know, I think the best, which is probably why some people are comparing this to things like Brazil um, and, or, you know, uh, sorry, um, the trial uh, by, uh, Oh my Kafka. God. Thank you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what the hell? How do you get through your days without me? Kafka or, you know, <laughs> Heller or whoever. Like, like that form of satire that feels like it has something in common with comedy but isn't comedy. Um, and, and I think that 
that is partly what you're placing your finger on, Brian. And, and it's something that is both not done as well as it should be, but also feels kind of new to me in a weird way. And I am suspicious of saying that, but hopefully this will spark some kind of larger conversation. Well, it's, it's interesting to me. His, his response to that question is an idea that I would love to see in a film. And I mm-hmm. don't see it in this film. I see, I just, I don't see it. First of all, you know, everything that Cassius does is motivated by the desire for money. Sure. Um, that's fine. But money isn't just having money. It's, you know, there's a, there's a, I, th- I think it was before this film, I saw a, a trailer for a documentary called Generation Wealth. Mm-hmm. From those the people aren't queen of uh, Versailles director. Yeah. And those people aren't just hanging out with their money. Like they're buying shit. They're doing stuff like there is a, a kind of happiness. You can call it that, I guess that goes with having a, a shit ton of money. Sure. <laughs> and, and this movie doesn't really seem well, to that, like that, ever that, like, grant him that happiness. <clears throat> it does. Like he, mm-hmm. he seems to just be attracted to figures Sure, and not the 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 conspicuous consumption that can go along with it that would give him the the feeling of being better than the lower class workers that he's escaping. I mean, the Wolf of Wall Street did this. Like Leonardo DiCaprio is like, I need those people spending money and like just <laughs> getting stuff because then that's going to make them want more money. And like, you know, we don't see Cassius like moving from his uncle's garage to like a one bedroom to like a super nice condo. He just kind of gets a decently nice condo and then just stays there. And like, you never get like, aside from his car, you never really get like a concept of if he's like doing more stuff, if he's like getting the things that he wanted, like, did he really just want comfort? Because if that's the case, then maybe you should have shown him like moving to the suburbs and not this like urban apartment. And to me, that's a huge problem in this movie. And it would have been nice to see like the activists at some point just mm. like claiming victory, even though nothing has changed just because they like convinced some people that they were right. Like they won the argument and then they were just like, all right, guys, we've done it. Let's go home. And then someone to say, but we're still not a union and we still don't have a lot of money. And like, you know, there's still well, this think- possible slave labor going on and them to go like, yeah, but like we really owned that dude on television and that's all we really wanted. Like we're trending on Twitter. Like we did it. Our hashtag is burning it up. Did you see? I think, yeah, I, th- I think Steven Yoon's character is a little bit of that. And, and Brian, I, w- I wanted to mention, you know, there's that classic joke and I can't remember who made it, but, um, about kind of consumerism and basically saying, have you ever seen someone unhappy on a jet ski? <laughs> And it's just like, yeah, you know, it, it is one of those things where it's just like, yeah, money, money does buy a lot of ha- happiness. Uh, damn it. Why can't I remember his name? Uh, it's not Brian Regan. It, uh, it's someone, someone like that. Oh, it's someone that ended up with, uh, with, uh, his own show on like Comedy Central. Um, and I can't remember who it is. Anyways, uh, it's, I think Steven Yoon's character is kind of indicative of, of your point because, it's just not followed through though. And, but it is mentioned that he was at a different 
part of California or something like that and helped create a union there and then left. And it's like, right, but and, he still and someone created asked the him, union. Like, yeah, but he, he what, did what I'm saying, what I'm saying though, is that just because you create the union doesn't mean you actually solve the problem, right? Sure. So, w- but that's what still more of a concrete of, solution than just like the type of bullshit that you see nowadays, where like people take to the street and like you, when when these massive massive demonstrations happen, you never hear anyone say like, you know, we changed a lot of minds today. You get Slate.com. Showing the fucking 50 funniest goddamn signs that were there. Mm. It's like, and and people like will meme out like someone who got arrested who looked really nice while it was happening. Like, but these aren't, they're like cultural wins, but the culture affects so little that it doesn't really matter. And like, you know, people keep expecting like this blue wave to happen, but in all the elections that have happened since Trump got into office, like... The status quo has stayed pretty much the same unless it turns out that the Trump dude like molested a child. And even then, it's way too hard to get people to not vote for that person. Because yeah, again, that, was, that was still very narrow. Like, you're not changing because people are at this moment like, yeah, it, it's it's just like they just want the pol- the political win. So they don't give a shit who's casting the vote as long as they're casting the vote for them because the yeah. presumption of compromise and meeting in the middle and like anyone working together is so far gone that it's not like, well, if we get a moderate Democrat in, maybe they'll like work for us to close yeah. like tax loopholes and stuff. But at the same time, like cuts for the middle. It's just like, nope, we'll never be able to work with a Democrat. We'll never be able to work mm-hmm. with a Republican. We just got to get someone in who's not that person. Like I saw someone on Twitter the other day literally saying, doesn't matter who vote blue. And it's like, that's really the fucking line you're going with? Doesn't yeah. matter who vote blue? It's like, oh, it, it rhymes. Christ. We're good. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, like the, I love his answer to that question, but I don't see it reflected in this movie. I it, Sure. I I think that's fair, Brian. I I mean, I think that there is like in its effort to try to focus on like corporatization and, you know, even the way that it nods at the uh, what was the Kardashian Pepsi? What was that based on the uh, what? It's it seemed like it was. It wasn't that Kylie Kylie Jenner Jenner. Yeah. Kelly Kardashian. I, I, I don't know, I don't know. these well, people. I, the Jenners and the Kardashians are the same family, right? Y- yeah. <laughs> like biologically uh, or something. Well, okay, hold like, on. Before we get lost in that. Okay, my point being that, like, I I think you're right though. That like in the way that it tries to show that impact, it does take that sloganeering route. It is kind of the equivalent of. Um, I literally can't argue. I already forgot the slogan you said about vote blue. But anyways, my point being that doesn't like, matter who vote blue. This it's really interesting to me, and I, I want to talk about this a little bit because I think it is important as well. Um, you know, you've seen a lot of people try to compare this to a number of different movies, um, and, and then you see some people also writing trend pieces that are equating it with Get Out, which is. Really misguided, but I think really almost lazy. Yeah, really lazy. But I almost think uh, a more interesting contrast is actually our movie from last week, which is Leave No Trace, which is mm-hmm. almost about systems 
reflection on individuals. Like it absolutely doesn't focus on that larger picture. And I, I think that is something that this movie absolutely misses the boat on Brian. Like is that you're not seeing Lakeith. Lakeith is kind of a cipher and he's a cipher who's like supposed to represent that unhappiness and you're right. Like we don't really ever have a sense of what his goal is beyond right, he, what he, he's he told saying, to what his goal is. Right. He keeps saying he, he like is finally good at something. And I'm like, well, there's a certain emptiness there. Sure. That like maybe could be explored more. But that like, emptiness is, yeah. As you're saying that emptiness is also supposed to somehow solve this larger narrative and they yeah. just kind of intersect because there's no other way. Um, yeah, because I mean, yeah. again, like maybe he is, maybe he does just want to finally be good at something and like have people believe in him. That's great. But like he pays off his uncle's like house debt. Sure. And then we never see the uncle again. And he he gets a, a new car and that's great for him. And he like but like he's he doesn't really seem like he's he's like really basking in the glory of what he's doing. Like the people at his office keep telling him he's doing a good job, which is a certain kind of validation. But he doesn't ever seem to be like moving towards what he claims to be wanting to move towards, nor does it feel like he's selling out his values because in the end, we don't really know what the hell his values are. And so there was just like, like I said, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this movie, obviously, as we've been talking about. And like you get these little idiocracy type things like the have a, Mm -hmm. have a cola and smile bitch thing. I mean, the the fucking fact that Terry Crews is in it. Well, yes, of course. Everyone knows that if Terry Crews is in something. Um, but like, yeah, you you have the like have a soda and smile bitch thing where like sure. that girl does that and then suddenly like gets like a, a Kylie Jenner-esque Pepsi yes. endorsement. And um, he becomes like a, a, a hot Halloween costume, which is weird and very racist. And mm-hmm. definitely they did that sure. on purpose. Um but I don't know, like, you, you, like those things seem very detached. And we haven't even brought up what I think you were referring to, Michael, earlier, which is this thing that, like, could be a late stage capitalism thing or could be, like, a, a deep communist thing. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> when I first started, I literally, okay, so I don't think it's a spoiler to talk about worry-free, right? Like, it comes up in the first no, 10 minutes. No, I mean. So, like, the concept of worry-free living is you sign a contract, you're sure. employed for life. And you get to live in a communal living space and food is provided for you. And I saw this and I saw people living in bunk beds and talking about like a live work space and all this stuff. And I thought, oh, sweet. My super liberal friends would really <laughs> fucking love this because they're constantly talking about how like owning a house and having a lawn and having to commute to work is terrible for the environment and is another way that like late stage capitalism is just like destroying the environment and keeping the haves and the have nots separated and inciting class warfare. And I've had people rail against the concept of fashion, not in terms of high fashion, but just like the fact that there are many different kinds of jeans. So the fact that these people are all wearing the same uniform, I was like, yeah, this is a communist utopian wonderland. Sure. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, they're trying to make a thing about like late stage capitalism basically being an inlet to slavery. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that went the opposite direction of what I was expecting. And it's possible that the movie is trying to make that point. I think, I think the, 
I think the film is very obviously trying to make the point that this is basically Foxconn, right? Like, and, you know, Steve Lift or whatever his name is, is obviously the CEO of Amazon. And it's just like, okay, so, so you got Foxconn on one hand and you got, you know, Amazon on the other. And it's like, okay, I understand, like, these are obvious talking points that you're kind of hitting on. And it's, and it's, you know, it makes sense. But it's, it's very, very, very fucking difficult to take all of that and have a narrative and have uh, all this other shit that's going on in this film and have Detroit and have a relationship in the middle of it that's crumbling slowly and have all this other shit. (laughs) And then it's just like, okay, and then you got to come up with some kind of narrative through arc for all of that while also making an actual point and like saying something that's like he did not do himself any fucking favors by having all of that in in his and then debut we haven't film. even gotten to the craziest thing that he puts no, into the movie no but here's the other thing. this this concept of like voluntary slavery let's call it which can take the 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 like the position of either this is like capitalist enslavement of the working class through like extortionate contracts and all this other stuff or you know it's a a socialist paradise but that also is its own kind of slavery and therefore all systems are broken and we have to find something (laughs) else but that's not really where we're at as a society like we're in the gig economy like the like that's where we're at we're like companies don't want employees they want subcontractors Mm -hmm. amazon doesn't have a billion well, because, people who you know, they house yeah. in like a warehouse that they send out. Nope. They have fucking random ass people who jump into their cars with an app like they're an Uber driver to deliver packages. Like Uber yes. is trying to get rid of people because they're sure. trying to make self-driving cars like Lyft, Grubhub, Uber Eats, um, Fiverr, TaskRabbit. Like we're living in a world where people don't want to have people on a payroll. Like, yep. and so to see that, this movie takes this kind of Dickensian, you know, Milton Hershey, but evil type of thing where like there's the company town and the company store and all this other stuff like that's that's not like really the reality we're living in. And that's not what people are having to grapple with. Like we have taxi drivers in New York committing suicide on the steps of City Hall sure. because the, the like they don't they can't make money anymore because a fucking college student with a recent enough car and like a DUI or no DUI on their record can, can get into their car and pick someone up at like, uh, you know, 152nd and third and, and drive them 14 blocks for cheaper than a taxi would. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. person makes like 12 cents off of that ride. Like it's insane. Like they don't even want you tipping these people like because they just they they want them to have to work more if you, if you forget to tip them it's not like later you can just add something you, you just get an email reminding you oh yeah remember when you didn't tip that person <laughs> yeah and like my parents when they first started using uber at the airport like you know they were like we tried to give this guy like money and he like refused and then another friend of mine said that like he once gave a tip to an uber driver like you know basically just like said hey man take this money and the guy was like no and so he's like all right well i'm just gonna forget it in your back seat then and the guy like gave him a one-star rating because apparently uber uber has had people 
attempt to tip for the purpose of like catching their drivers accepting tips. It's bananas. Yeah, and that's it, it, the, that's it, it, the real capitalist underground. Like not like again, not sure. this like slave state we're going to house and feed and clothe you thing. It's it's this it's this yeah, we're just going to we're just going to fucking it's, use you and throw you out. Well, and what it is honestly is it's finding inefficiencies in the marketplace by exploiting loopholes and all of this other shit. So it's it's basically taking the government and saying you are so big that I can basically find a loophole, work my way inside of it, become so powerful that you cannot like you have to start negotiating with me or you know like can you imagine if uber was like forced out of new york yes it would be a hellscape probably for you know like three months but after that it would probably even out right but the taxis would come back but yeah, but that's the thing is for that three months, people would be losing their fucking minds because ultimately what they want is they want something very, very quick and very on demand and they feel like taxis are not that. And that's, that's basically the, 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 you know, market inefficiency that was there before uber and before lyft and before all these other companies arrived and so they were just like hey this person wants to make like a five minute trip and they wanted that car at their doorstep within two to three minutes can well, i make that even happen beyond that because it's like okay we don't want to have to pay the licensing of a taxi driver like buying those exactly. lines and stuff we don't no. want to and we definitely don't want to have to pay for health insurance or life nope. insurance on yep. these people. Yep. So like, yep. what if we called them contractors? And what if we didn't say that we were providing a ride service? What if we said we were making like an opportunity for people who have a car to pick up someone as though they were a friend and maybe make a little money off of it? And that like, was that was originally how it was sold was, hey, if you're on your way, why don't you just stop off and get this person, collect a little cash, boom, you're still going the way that you're going. And then it turned into, oh, we can actually make money doing this full time. And it's right. just like, so like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> this is a no company doesn't like, yeah. No a company doesn't have sharing. to feed and clothe its employees when legitimately, and I, you know, I, I, I have a child. I can't always like run out to get food. And if I don't have groceries, my choice is either like eat some white bread or order something <laughs> on Grubhub or Uber Eats. And so like, you know, I'll fucking use a Grubhub or Uber Eats because I want some tacos or something. Every once in a while, one of these drivers will pull up to my house with like their full fucking family in their car. Like I wow. had a man, a woman, a like five-year-old and then a child in like a child seat in the back seat. And they pull up to my house and I'm like, oh, I wonder if these people are lost. And then the guy reaches into the back seat, pulls my pizza out, and walks up to my door and I was like, oh, please, for the love of God, tell me that you're coming home from like a great day out with your family. And like you just said, like, hey, if we're like running by wherever I live, um, maybe like we should see if we can pick something up that we can deliver on the way home. But like there have been times when I've gotten something at like 11 o'clock at night and I see a child in the car and I'm like, is this just how you live? Like you know that your child's going to go to sleep in the car. It's as good. It's as good as a bed. It's probably better because they'll fall asleep faster. And while your child is sleeping, you don't have to pay for a babysitter and you can make like maybe 40 bucks. Like, 
it's deeply depressing and it's not a reality that's reflected in this movie and it just feels like that's a weird missed opportunity for a movie that seems to be trying so hard to be a hip of the moment trendy examination of what what certain people have called like late stage capitalism mm-hmm. i don't know I, like it just struck me as weird that i'm like you're going for this like this hasn't been a problem since like not in this country like since yeah. you know the pinkertons were a thing like but isn't this just isn't that potentially a, a bad faith way to look at this film like i agree with you that that is something that is of the moment and is not being, you know, discussed or addressed in art for the most part. But I I don't know if it's, if it's quite fair to, uh, you know, mark this film down for not, for not approaching it and for taking something that does admittedly feel a little archaic at times or half baked. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my problem, though, is it just does feel archaic and half-baked, and it kind of robs the film of the immediacy that I think it's trying to play at. It's it's like if you had a movie about gun control, and, like, the most damaging weapon that you have is, like, the Henry Repeater. And it's just <laughs> like, oh, a person with, the, like, with this and a good levering hand can shoot seven bullets in ten <laughs> seconds, and it's just like... Well, that's not really what the problem is anymore. Like the problem is the kid who brings his dad's 45 to school and can shoot off like 15 rounds in four seconds or like the person who gets like an AR-15 variant and could shoot off 30 rounds in five seconds. Like it just feels like you're still making the argument, but you're maybe not addressing it in the most vital and interesting and like immediate way, which is strange in a movie that like seems to be all about vitality and interest and like earnestness up until the point that we really need to get to talk about we're an hour in which is when the movie has cash's do some cocaine with his boss and learn the truth so spoilers yeah <laughs> yeah so let's, yeah, we're, uh, let's we're gonna jump spoilers. into it yeah i think i think this is <clears throat> we've we've done a remarkable job of like actually talking about this film so far. So I don't even feel like this is going to be all that long, but um, there are fucking horse people in this movie. So that's, and you, and I know everyone's wondering, do I get to see their cock? Yes. (laughs) Yes. You get to see their cock immediately. And it's just (laughs) as big as you think. In fact, that is pitched as the selling point of becoming an, an equa sapien. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Uh, the spoilers. That's, that's probably the spoilers for starting to bother I... you. Boots Riley is a furry. <laughs> uh, uh, oh Jesus! I did not need to know it's that. It's true. I, that was legitimately my first thought when I saw this. Is I was like, you know, you know, I see a horse, human, and a and a cock, and I'm just like, you know, there's a reason I keep safe search on, man. I was getting um, your heart out. It is funny though. I like. I'll, I'll give the movie this. Army Hammer. And his, I just want to like a whole movie that's just Army Hammer as like the Wolf of Wall Street and Cassius as like, like one of his like students. I don't know what the hell you'd call them, acolytes. Because like Army Hammer has a way of pitching everything that is just insane. Like when when they're talking and he's like, "I'm going to give you this much money, and remember, you have a horse cock." <laughs> it's like, look, the money is great and everything, but don't you just want to know what it's like to rock that kind of power between your legs? Yeah, I love how that's the two uh, the two things he does to sell this, and and the yeah. Keith like he almost like st- 
starts to talk about it and he's like, wait, why the fuck am I actually going to bring up the horse cock part? I, yeah, I, I don't feel like I need to talk about why I don't feel like that's a good trade-off. <laughs> but I think... Though, again, we've all been on the internet. There's people who would probably be into that. Oh, yeah. Is that Rule 37 yeah. or is Rule 37? No, Rule 37 is everything has porn. Was, is that what that is? I thought that was Rule 34. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Too many rules. I would Google it, but I no, really don't no, want no. to. <laughs> I have no idea what you're all talking about. I'm real glad. <laughs> there's like just Don't, a rule no, on the internet. That's, no. <laughs> well, it's, it's as simple as there is porn about everything. Oh. So like, yeah. let's say like we're talking about tuna and someone says, you know, rule 34. And it's just like, come on, man, there's not porn about tuna. And then you go on to find that there is porn about anthropomorphic tuna having sex with an actual tuna and a tuna sandwich having sex with a tuna salad sandwich. But enough about Shape of Water. <laughs> oh. Whoa. Yeah. I, so I it's think, like a cuttlefish. <laughs> I I do I do agree. The army brings a lot of uh, manic energy to this movie that I think the characters generally do in a pretty forced way. I, I think that army does feel a lot. He, he's probably a little bit too natural as a person who would you know um, snort literally a. A, a doodle six. of cocaine like it's it's a ridiculous it's ridiculous but um I, I i do think you know going back to lakeith i i do love the way that people keep using lakeith i think atlanta knows this and i think this movie knows this that he's the perfect straight man and the sense of insane things just this this uh, cyclone of weirdness can happen around him and he reacts to it in a way that never feels self-conscious. Like, I, I, even when you, th- you think about the way, for instance, his, like, hunch is for the the first, I guess, kind of third of the movie, he kind of has it. Um, just, like, that being a tick of his character. Like, the way Lakeith um, brings such a sense of, like, I, I guess I'll go back to vitality and like body language. I, I do think that he's someone who is able to make a lot of the, you know, admittedly stupid shit in this movie work better than it does. <laughs> I actually found his performance in this movie, like weirdly discalibrated for what the movie hmm. seemed to be doing. Like he, in, in Atlanta, he's the guy who's like, never really phased by anything <laughs> he um and every he, every line is bong wisdom <laughs> yeah and then in in like let's say even get out like when sure. he's in the opening and he is who he is he's got this very like funny kind of reserved like you know that's it I'm, I'm getting out of here like this is bullshit and in this movie he i don't know he he seems to like move between confusion and nihilism kind of lackadaisical <laughs> acceptance and stuff and i just like i've had a real hard time like nailing down his character and like he only really comes alive when he's terrified because a humanoid horse falls out of a bathroom stall <laughs> dick out screaming and i mean like yeah i guess like at that point all you could do is play fear and and confusion but like i don't know like i just he he was like a real like let down in this movie for me just because it, it really did feel like at times even he didn't quite understand like what his character was supposed to be feeling at a given point. 
Well, I think he's supposed to feel alienated from everyone and in the movie. Like, I think that's very intentional. I mean, you, uh, the scene I specifically wanted to speak about, which I think is fascinating, but also a major pacing killer, is after after he finds the horse people and he realizes that his phone was there and the horse people decide to take a camera video of Army Hammer's character uh, essentially <laughs> telling the horse people that they'll be made into glue if they don't cooperate. What does he call them? Like, you beautiful abominations. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, yeah. That was That's a great line. That, and Army Hammer delivers it like like he's called people that before. <laughs> this like, film does not deserve like, him. It's it's one of those like one of my favorite jokes to make about anyone in any movie is um yeah he's great in it but I feel like maybe like it was like mean that the filmmaker didn't tell him he was in a movie <laughs> like there's the the I think it's like the Netflix movie uh the Little Prince mm-hmm. and um Ricky Gervais is in it and yeah. he's the conceited man and he's just like oh, am I not, like, the most brilliant, handsome, wonderful person on earth? Like, shouldn't everyone adore me? And I was watching it with my wife, and I was like, he is the perfect person for this. I just feel like it's really weird that they just took audio of him talking to his fans at a stand-up special, and she, like, had to leave the room. And it's like, yeah, so I'm just like, I love that idea of it's like, yeah, no one told Army that he was in a movie. Like, we, we just said we wanted to hang out, and for some reason he, like, tried to get Lakeith Stanfield to rap. And he was talking to, like, two women and, and said and, that they were beautiful and abominations he, and he was going to turn them to glue. What the fuck is he wearing the whole time? Like, oh, it's I amazing. Was, I, was full, I was full on expecting his cock to come out at some point and for him to have a horse cock. And that be, like, like he took, like, part of – and that's why he's always sniffing cocaine is he took, like, part of the serum that only made his cock huge. And so that's why he's got to walk around in, like, a w- – Hammer pants? It was like a, yeah, it was like – no, it was, like, full on, like, a, a, a dress at some point. <laughs> okay, at some here, point, he sits down I'm pretty and sure I that he had, he had pants on. Lakeith Stanfield pissed himself. I'm pretty sure that Army Hammer gave Lakeith his pants. And so, and so Army Hammer just wore a towel. But here's okay. the thing. So, okay. like, we, yeah. we, see the, we see the horse creatures, the Equisapiens. Mm-hmm. Is that Forrest Whitaker, by the way? Yes, it is. Okay. Good job, That's what Brian. I thought. Yeah. Well, Forrest Whitaker, you know, he's got a voice. Um, he does. What was I? I was, I was just, I was just freaked out looking at those things. So I was just like, I, I don't, I don't hear anything right now. Super upset that they never put pants on. Um, Stop looking at <laughs> roll thirty four, Bill. <laughs> so, so what happens is like, look, Keith sees this and he is brought back to the room, and Army Hammer's like. Look, man, like if you had just watched this movie like I wanted you to, like you wouldn't even be freaking out. Oh, the Jade understand. Door. Yeah, yeah, the Jade Door. That. that was the best. I love that. Like I told you the Jade Door. He's like, that's a Jade Door. That's very clearly an olive door. And I'm like, that is some white people nonsense. Um, as a white person, yeah. Um, one who has just painted my house. So what I was gonna say is, and then we see this utterly bizarre claymation video with a naked pendulum breasted cave woman <laughs> explaining that like yeah we're gonna turn people into horses so they can work harder and like also we think that maybe they won't have as many diseases and like that's the explanation <laughs> and it's just like wait so your explanation for having horse people is i'm making horse people <laughs> and it's just like yeah, well, yeah man I, yeah I feel it's like, like well that's not better 
I feel like there's another way around, and maybe that is uh, putting your workers on like a, a nice, like good, like wholesome diet, and maybe making them work out, and maybe then they will be strong and how healthy. About, Bill, how about automation? <laughs> Or that as well. Like, yeah, like I see them like building stuff and I'm like, uh, you're like 20 years behind that curve. Like that's already happened. Yeah, but how do you make Lakeith in a movie about automation? <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, oh, he you, becomes a robot. You make, him, <laughs> you make him start being phased out by robots that can actually read the script and stick to the script and then like pick up on context clues and shit like that. So like, that like Google there's duplex thing. Yeah. I mean, there's already yeah. like computers that are writing like news articles and shit like that. And that's like a very real thing. And so, like, you know, we got Google that can like ma make an appointment for you already. You can just tell it, Hey, I need to make an appointment, call this number, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah. So we're, we're rapidly approaching that like as a thing. So I don't know. I like, mean, I feel it, like that would have been nice. It's, it's like what. What the movie is trying to do is fine, I guess. I mean, we could obviously pick apart the logic <laughs> yes. that yes. would drive an Elon Musk type character to say, I've got it, horse cocks. I mean, horse people. Um, but I don't think we have to. I think that the, the part of the movie that worked best for me, though, again, this should have been like the whole movie, is when he unleashes the video after having to go on the, the television program i got the shit kicked out of me which is i think somehow not as good of a title as ow my boss <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah what am i thinking of that basically it's not idiocracy what is something that has this as a is it a black mirror episode that yes. has a reality TV show. Yeah, that's the One Million Merits, I think, oh, okay. which had Daniel yeah. Kaluuya from uh, Get Out. Yeah, that is one of my favorite Black Mirror episodes. That's fine. And that has is a lot depressing of the as same, hell. It has a lot of the same things to say as this movie, if you think about it. Um, mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that's the one where you know it's like America's Got Talent or whatever, sure, sure. and and he goes on and like has a political screed, and then. Much like the woman who threw the Coke can in this, they're like, oh, my God, we love you. How about you become a political commentator and you get to live above ground? And he's like, oh, OK, sure. Um, so there's that. <laughs> and spoilers for Black Mirror. Oh, yeah. One of the few like, good episodes. <laughs> Oops. Oh, well. My bad. Uh, let's talk about the fact that Domhnall Gleeson dies and they make a robot out of him and keep Whoa. him in the attic. So... Let's. Uh, I'm just gonna start spoiling Black Mirror episodes willy nilly. Jesus. Just start doing um, later seasons. No one gives a fuck about those. <laughs> the kid who robs the bank was watching child pornography. Oh, um, I hated that. I think that was the episode that made me stop watching. Anyway, that was called Shut Up and Dance. It was not good. <laughs> um, it was, not. but it did have it did have uh, Bran Bran from from Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones? Is it Liam Cunningham? Bran? Is that what you're talking about? Who's the who's the, the the only good onion. character in Game of Thrones now? Away, no, 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 not the Onion Knight, the 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 roguish mercenary dude who's always hanging out with Jamie, Braun. Oh yeah, Braun, Braun. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like anyway. Him. So he's, he's we've really gone bass. on a tangent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what I was gonna say is, I liked the fact that he unleashes this video, mm -hmm. and the response is, 
Oh my God, look at this astounding creation. Uh, Steve Lift's company's stock has gone up like 4 billion sure. percent. It's a miracle suddenly, of science. Like, yeah, and suddenly like all these uh, like government agencies want to work with him and stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah, he's like opening the New York Stock Exchange. You just Army's like, wow. reaction in that shot too. <laughs> he's opening he's, the yeah, New York just, Stock like, Exchange. Yeah, just like a scream of glee. So like that's interesting to me because then it is like, oh, right, like – this is this is too much and it it almost is like what happens when like uber showed up it's like Mm -hmm. hey look at this horror show that's only going to mean we can exploit workers better and everyone's like oh my god they're disrupting the industry like let's let's give let's let's boost their stock price and like lakeith stanfield's like i don't get it like didn't they see the horse people (laughs) and steve yun's yun's character is like yeah, man, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, if you if you show people too much too fast, they just adapt to it yeah. because it's too much for their brain. <laughs> that, and I'm that like, hurt that is 100% hear. true. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, but, like, that's kind of, like, if the whole movie was more focused on that and, like, what I it feel takes like to that's truly, a... like, bring down people and change things. I feel like that's a real hard sell, though. <laughs> is is the heart of the movie is people with a giant's horse cocks? How about that? It's like, mm, I mean, you know, like mm. yeah, we would have had to watch a couple more horse cocks swinging around, probably. But like, <laughs> if it makes a better, more satisfying movie, I think. I don't know. It was real hard to watch some of that. That's like just that's you know that's what that's what practical effects will get you a more visceral <laughs> reaction to seeing a mm. giant yeah. humanoid horse cock on your screen. Yes. Oh boy. Jeez, oh, clutch uh, your pearls, both of you. So, yo, yeah. Oh, Michael, I'm so sorry that I'm talking about not wanting to see horse cocks on my screen. Well, I'm just, I'm just real confused about the fact that, like, well, you know, a hundred no, years ago, no one mind. wanted to see ankles anyway. That. So, like, you know, just throw yourself horse cocks of the new pleasure. ankles. Yeah. Oh Jesus. Look, nothing wow. is nothing is oh, off limits boy. anymore. Everything is allowed. Let's just have a whole movie that's just about the horses. Yeah, I, I to be because they're in the world now. They're free. <laughs> he freed them. They're doing things. What what the fuck is do this we a make prequel of the to end? Bojack Horseman? <laughs> uh, anyway, Mr. Uh, Peanut Butter. Oh God. Um, what were you gonna say, Bill? Is this a pre- prequel to it? No, what? no. I said, okay. how about what the fuck did we make of that ending? Like, what the fuck is that? He turned into a horse, and I think that they went to go rape Steve Lift. Yeah, yeah. At the like, I'm reading Wiki right now, and it says breaking down the door and roaring at him. <laughs> That's basically what the fuck happens. But I'm just like, wait, <laughs> there's gonna be more to it than that. Like, I don't know. I feel like so so they save the day yeah and what happens with worry free is it like does it get shut down finally I honestly can't remember my brain like broke because no, they have the no. big strike oh uh, they have they have the big strike the the equisapiens help revolt yeah I think that like <clears throat> I think that the I think that they, they just get a union maybe because like I sort of got the ending of this movie like zapped my brain for everything in the last like quarter of it that didn't involve horse turns. Sure. Um like yeah, because he puts the he puts the, the garage door down. Yeah. It hits him in the nose because his nose is growing bigger because he's turning into a horse. And then 
from and then from they, the coke they, that was not in fact coke <laughs> yes it was in fact the like oh fuck it had some crazy ass awesome name that was like the integration matrix powder or something but yeah. yeah then he becomes a horse and he he rallies the other equisapiens and they they go to steve lift's house and then they knock the door in and then scream and i don't you know i don't know what they're gonna do to him i assume it's not great i think that's but such like an... is 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 that like a does it like is that anything? gonna solve anything <laughs> <laughs> like i feel I like know. okay like like you kill him uh life goes on like i don't know I don't, what happens i honestly there. don't know like it it becomes like, like i don't i don't I, know i can't i, like, I, wish I, can't I could imagine tell you it symbolized something but it i just don't know i don't think so at I all can't. i think this entire movie again i'm gonna go back to this i think that it's and just as Detroit is anti-everything, I think this movie doesn't have faith in any systems, doesn't have any faith in any way move forward. I mean, you even think about the scene before the dumb, let's charge Steve Lift's house. Uh, you know, that's a scene that is played ambiguously and is certainly depressing if you think about it, because it's just the same cycles over and over. I mean, nothing's really changed. We don't know what concretely the union led to. We don't have any understanding of what, you know, like, you know, even Steve Yoon's character, for instance, who at first seems to be a savior. I mean, one, he's his skis, which is really funny. And it seems like he his whole job is going from place to place and just trying to be a union organizer. So I find I, I, I think even the fact that this movie has cynicism, cynicism about unions, which Boots Riley is, that's the thing that is, his entire career has been about, is pro-unions, I think makes all of this a lot thornier than that ending. I think that's what's really weird about that ending is like, it's, it's kind of a fake out, but it's also like a reminder like, oh, here's a crowd pleasing last bullshit, like comedy thing. Like, it's just but really crowd pleasing. Like, I, I found it really unsatisfying. Yeah. Like, I've, <laughs> that seems like, like, like the last, yeah, the last five minutes of this movie can just disappear and it's the exact same fucking movie. Like, I don't think that last moment, like, does anything in this film's favor at all. Except, like, make Steve Lift even look like even more of an asshole because it's like, just let him snort coke, man. Like, what's wrong with that? But if it. Yeah, like, why. Why can't he just have some coke? But I think if it would have ended with that last scene in the garage and just ending on such an ambiguous note, it wouldn't. It would. This movie would be talked about in a different way. I truly believe that. I think by ending but with one last, in a, like, in a good way or a bad way. Uh, no, I. I just think it'd be different. I think it would be talking it about would be it like less. Neater. It'd be neater, and it would be more of an art house ending. I mean, speaking of people who like. All right, I'm not going to start making huge generalizations about being frustrated with how people react to ambiguous endings. But uh, <laughs> let's just say that I do think I, I know you guys are saying it's a sad ending, but I think having it end so boisterously, having it end with like one final like "fuck you," uh, you know, uh, "fuck you" corporations in the case of worry-free is like. 
one last like uh, almost like a badge of like punctum. Like like there's a certain there's a certain uh, I don't know pugnaciousness uh, well, that comes with that instead of ending with something that's ambiguous and about like oh they're still in their life institutions are still like i think that if the movie ended with him hitting himself and like realizing he's going to become a horse that's a stronger statement because it's like sure you you flipped at the end but like your soul is still corrupted you know and instead like but having him then take that and like charge steve lift's house is like it's dumb it just feels dumb like it just feels i really and and unfortunately because it's the last thing of the movie and i can't go on twitter and say what did everyone think when the horse people go to Steve wins or Steve Lift's house at the end of this movie? Like, cause that's a major spoiler that also wouldn't make sense to anyone who didn't see the movie. Um, it, do, it makes the conversation weird. Cause all these people are like, Oh, this movie is so like vital and crazy. And it's saying so much. And I just want to be like, please describe to me what you think that final <laughs> fucking scene is saying. Because yeah. I just don't, I just don't, I personally just don't get it. And like, maybe they're seeing something. Sure. Like, and this is the thing. I didn't like this movie. Bill seems to have liked it well enough. Michael, you have thoughts on it. And like, <laughs> that that should be enough for us to get a really well-rounded discussion. I think it's weird that none of us can really defend what the fuck is happening at the end. Oh, I, I can't. I absolutely can't. When they burst through the door after like threatening him and then just roar. I mean, I think they just want to fuck up the system i mean i think that's the it's you know it's the equivalent of that rick and morty end bit where with the devil um I, oh when when they get super swole and beat the shit out of nazis and yes stuff. that makes more sense to me even just as, as a as a through fair or not a through fair a follow-through on that episode because there is something cathartic about going out and righteously beating the shit out of people who suck but like this is a a guy who was tainted and transformed by the uber capitalist monster who tried to like buy his soul and is now going with the other workers who had been utterly transformed and harmed to brutalize this man in his house. Like that's after they've already won a kind of victory. Like that just feels weird to me. Like it's, I don't know. Like I just, I just don't know. It feels defeating in their own victory it feels like like throwing mud on that in a way because it's not letting them have that either like for the most part what they did was kind of a moral victory we don't really see the results of any kind of like actual victory but like at least we can be like okay but they have like the high ground and it's like and but if you go into this guy's house and like kill him it's like now you're starting to muddy the water of like, do you have the high ground? And Wait, are, it's are, like, are you that serious? You don't think that Army Hammer's character deserves to die? I don't. I don't know. I don't think like not by Ooh. mob justice. Like this isn't yeah. the terror. Like I like my thing is like we're getting perilously close yeah. to don't punch Nazis here. <laughs> but like that's the thing. No. Like punch a Nazi. No. Like you're yeah, a human a being and stuff. But like don't become a horse monster and break into (laughs) someone's house like that's the problem is you've gone so far off the deep end that it becomes hard to do that like i i don't know if i would i mean oh i I have very poor impulse control in all honesty and i'd probably do it but like i just 
I don't, I don't, I don't know. Because like Bill was saying, like if the final statement of this movie is fuck it up with violence, like don't try to do it the good way. Like bring yourself down into the mud and fight fire with horse cock. Like, <laughs> I, like then I feel like they should have devoted more time to that. Like they have this brutal, they have a brutal, like, mob clash of uh the the strike breakers versus the strikers but like that's just because the strikers have been being brutalized and Mm -hmm. so you have to fight back so it has a kind of moral clarity to it and i just like you know i just don't know how to read (laughs) the horse people breaking into steve lift's house to brutalize him yeah maybe if they had pants on i I wouldn't i wouldn't think like such bad things are gonna happen but I when we first talked about this, I legitimately said they're gonna go there and rape Steve Lift. And I honestly believe that that's like part of what that is implying. Yeah, I think so. I don't know, like I don't even know where to go from there. Like that's (laughs) gonna be bad for him. (laughs) I mean it's not gonna be great. Yeah, but here's the thing. Like the movie the movie has been making a kind of statement that like art is meaningful and collectivization is meaningful and valuing yourself as an individual, but not turning your back on the group is meaningful. And so for it to suddenly say, or you could bust down a motherfucker's door and fuck him up. Like that just feels, that feels a lot more boondock saints than this movie was originally going for. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's mixing messages. It's, uh, I don't know. Like, this feels like the kind of guy who would go on a rant about how Batman is, like, a capitalist parable and, like, naked violence for the underclass as a means of crime fighting is a bad thing. But, like, if you invert that and are like, but if the underclass wants to rise up and beat the shit out of, like, an uber capitalist, that's fine. It just feels, it feels weird and it doesn't feel in step with what the rest of the movie is really kind of advocating for or or even just not advocating against. Yeah. I don't know, Michael, if you're, like... Do you think that they are What do you think? I don't even know how to I don't even I don't even have a question. It's like you seemed to you you brought up like the we're going close to the don't punch Nazi territory. Like do you think that they're morally justified breaking in his door and doing Like you hated this ending as much as us, but like you seem to think that there's a certain degree of moral clarity that maybe feeds into the rest of the movie? I don't know. Um, hmm, I, I'm still kind of stuck on fight fire with horsecock. Um, Look, sometimes you just got to fight fire with horsecock. Okay. I, well, I, I don't know if I, I, I don't think that I honestly parsed any moral clarity or, uh, or stance in this ending in general. Cause I think that I think it's out of step with the rest of the movie, but I think it's out of step in, uh, in terms of it feeling safe. So it's, it's very strange. <laughs> I, I know I realize now that it's, it's very strange that I'm saying, Oh, you know, what's a safe ending? A bunch of horse people going to kill the, <laughs> But it's so Kill weird because it's sort of it's sort of true because like you have all this gray area sure. with like certainly this man has bettered his own life but yeah. at the cost of like everyone who he had to step over and um sure like now now they've won a victory and have like a union and stuff and 
he's got his girlfriend back, but like he already like tainted his soul and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like that's really hard. It's like if the newsies ended with <laughs> Jack shanking Pulitzer and throwing him off of a balcony. <laughs> like you know, oh, it seems man. to be saying like, yeah, but even if you've done that, you're still part of the system. What you got to do is you got to fucking murder the system. Bro. Boots Riley's newsies. <laughs> I would I okay yeah if he's gonna do anything next I would love for him oh to do a remake God. of Newsies. Oh boy! I'm sorry. I my my daughter loves the Newsies, so if I start like busting out a lot of Newsies <laughs> references on this podcast, that's why I already can't hold a conversation with my wife without referencing Disney's Tarzan. <laughs> my generation wow. seems to be a huge fan of the Newsies for some reason. Um. Yeah, I, yeah, I, okay, I guess I, you're right, I there is, <laughs> no, I, no, I, I don't, I don't think we're quite done, I, I, you're right, there is not a moral clarity there, and there is something, um, again, a, a, a dissonance that doesn't feel even in the way of the rest of the film, and, and, and I guess what I'm speaking to of why I hate that film, or excuse me, hate the end of this film, I'm not Brian, um, is that, that sequence that Brian already started to talk about, which is right after the video comes out, and it does have a number of broad signifiers. You know, you, know, you have people who are trying to say, um, you know, give rights to the Equisapiens, and then you have the uh, Coca-Cola girl, and y- you do have all of these kind of broad backdrops. But that part of the film I find incredibly, incredibly fascinating in the way that it is, as as Brian was saying, like, is is showing that like um sorry that these horrible things are happening but oh it, it, it when it's just thrust on the world i mean there's nothing else you can do but just kind of surrender to it um and i think that that um that sense of utility is far more interesting than a, a final let's kick down the door <laughs> I, and but let me simultaneously say I am absolutely for them ripping army hair hammer apart limb from limb. Like I'm totally fine with that and don't have any I'm, moral compunction about it. <laughs> I'm super curious. I think that maybe would this have played better if like he'd already poisoned the world and we got to see like everybody hmm. going to his house. It, it is a million. They do drop that number at some point. So it, it, it's not like, you know, it's not like a hundred people who are Equisapiens here. Wait, no, I thought there's already, there's a million of them? I thought they'd say... I thought they only ever show three of them, and I'm sure that might be a budgetary constraint, but I didn't think that there were already a million of them. I think that, like, was that during the stock exchange thing? I don't know. I think They it's... mentioned the number that... that like they have, but mm-hmm. I didn't think it was a million, but yeah, I mean, seems maybe, maybe what I'm saying is like, so like, what if like everyone started turning into horse people and they're like, Oh, that son of a bitch, he already did it. And then they're like, well, you know, if we can't, if we can't stop this from happening, we can at least take out like some bloody vengeance. Like that feels more true to this than, than any, than, than what this actually is, because it really kind of like lodges it within the character. And I but don't know. I you just want don't some see Deadwood Posse being... justice. Is what you're saying? <laughs> Look, no, you know me. that's I, uh, I love the island of that's the island of Doctor Moreau, isn't it? Um. Yeah. I guess. Hmm. Yeah. 
I can't remember. In that, is he turning people into humans, or is he turning, or is he turning people into humans? Is he turning people into animals, or animals into people? I, it's, it's animals into people, isn't it? Y- yes, but okay. Doesn't he have to start with people? I, I can't I remember know. that. Movie. I will. Uh, that movie is a we fucking talk nightmare. About it on the next podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm um, talking about the movie. I'm not talking about the the book. Yeah. Oh God, why would you ever want to watch that movie? Um, uh, it that movie is seared in my imagination. <laughs> like that's that's what these horse people reminded me of. Way too that's closely. One of, Are there horse cocks in that great, too? probably um <laughs> that's one of the great behind the scenes documentaries oh yeah I, think it's, I can't remember what it's called damn it that's annoying um but it's like yeah it's it's all about like the guy who was originally supposed to do that and how awesome it yeah. was gonna be and then basically how val kilmer and martin marlon brando fucked him over lost soul the doomed journey of richard stanley's island of dr moreau yeah, that's a, it's that's so a good one. creepy that he was like hanging out around set as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's such a yeah. fucking Spoilers weird guy, man. It goes places. <laughs> um, so do we? I don't know if we're ever going to come to like a meaningful, <laughs> like anything about this goddamn final moment. I think we've had a very good conversation. Not to pat us on the back too hard, but I like. I like. I feel like we've hit some good points. And we've talked a lot, and we've we've had a very intelligent uh, discussion, and we should quit while we're ahead. Yes, I agree. Even though the last thirty minutes have been us just talking about horse cock. <laughs> How we're many still times? Ahead. How many times? How many times? What? How many times have we talked about horse cock? No. How many times can we mention it? Can we mention it thirty-four times? Is that is that how Rule Thirty Four works? I don't think that's why it's labeled Rule Thirty Four, Bill. Oh, okay. Um. I, I hope prospective employers hear this. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that would be bad. Um, I mean, it's not our fault. We're not talking about because we want to. It's in the text of the film. It would be mm-hmm. irresponsible as reviewers not to talk about horse cock. Indeed. Army, Army Hamber literally says it, so we're just repeating him. Right. It's it's a selling point. Indeed. It's, I still love that, how he, like, he takes the obvious bro thing, and he's like, and also, you will have a horse cock. <laughs> All right, we need to end anyway, this podcast. <laughs> we do. We need to end this podcast. Uh, uh, go to oh, patreon.com slash the film stage show and give us your money. Um, if you give us enough money, I promise we will never talk about horse cock again. Um, also, don't forget to go to coda.mubi.com to see where Coda is playing all over the country. Um, Check out Mubi. Uh, you can get a free 30-day trial by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. It's pretty fucking awesome. It's great. You should do it. One more Again, that's, one more piece of housekeeping. Sorry, uh, a, a fun detail is that all of our podcasts are now on SoundCloud as well. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> we are on SoundCloud. Um I don't, I don't, yeah. So if you, if you're one of the weird people who only ever listens to us on Mixcloud for whatever reason. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yep. Yeah. I guess go Migrate to SoundCloud over. now. <laughs> I always see that. Like people are like, yeah, we have, we have direct plays from Mixcloud. And I'm like, is it like, do people just like hang out on Mixcloud looking for audio stuff to listen to? <laughs> but I'm one of those people, like I have friends who are like, so I spent like three hours watching YouTube and I'm like, but why? <laughs> Like how even like you just keep letting it roll and they're like, no, I like look up new stuff or like there are people I know who post things and like there are people that I follow. And I was like, so it's just like the television to you. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get new media and I have a podcast. So what does that tell you? Um, That's it for today. 
Uh, next week, we will be talking about Mission Impossible Fallout, starring Tom Cruise and uh, the guy who's not Army Hammer. Uh, Henry Cavill. No, that's all right. <laughs> Henry Cavill. I saw that he's in another Jesus movie, and I'm like, Jim, Jim, buddy, you gotta, Look, you gotta be somebody else. Person, person of interest is over. He's got to find something. Jesus did him good once before. He's back. Uh, so yeah, we'll be doing. Leave Jesus to Fallout, the non-white dudes. Uh, <laughs> Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, again, starring Henry Cavill and Tom and Cruise. And his mustache. Written and directed. Yeah, his, his like guns. multi-million dollar mustache. The arms that he reloads. Um, yeah, uh, written and directed. By yes. That is I'm an sure, epic trailer. Really that is, is such. <laughs> That moment in the trailer is just... Anyway, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about all of this next week when we talk about Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, between now and the next time, let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found online. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me looking into Rule 34, probably mistakenly, uh, on Twitter at CableBFG, and then you can also find me on the Slack channel. All right, Michael Snydell. Uh, you can find me definitely not looking up Rule 34... Uh, on Twitter at at Snydell and uh, on Letterboxd. That's okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> you just like and on Letterboxd. You didn't like give anyone anywhere to find you. I, I have a name. Yeah. You can search it. <laughs> okay, great. Wow. Um, okay. You, you guys do the fucking work. Oh boy. <laughs> That's, that'd be great if my whole thing was yeah. I can be found on fucking Google. <laughs> expensive goddamn effort if you care so much uh yeah you can find me on uh twitter at brian j rowan brian j rowan is my name everywhere else if you happen upon a social media site and it has a brian j rowan that is not me please let me know that would be awesome uh and yeah tune in next week when we will be talking about mission impossible fallout to show me the same